<laughs> Welcome, listeners! <laughs> As the music in the background continues to build, I am your host, Dr. Frankenstein. This is episode 27. ASI247.org is the website. Little Harvest Festival, All Saints Day, Fall Jubilee music in the background there. <laughs> Sounds. Not music. Whatever. Taking what's dark and heavy and bringing it to be lighter and less soul-crushing. Isn't that what we should be doing? I don't know. That's, that's comedy, isn't it? This episode, like all others, uh, includes adult content, all right? So, a warning there, but really, y- you shouldn't be listening to a show on on sexual compulsion <laughs> with kids in your car anyway, should you? I don't know. Titling this episode, Through the Eyes of a Male, and it comes with a question, right? Feed my Frankenstein? Question mark? gonna kick this thing off with a little Alice Cooper again. Here you go. Yes, yes, I know you're hungry. Ah, and here comes dinner. For me, it doesn't feel like Fall Festival without a little Alice Cooper. Yes, feed my Frankenstein. A little uh, innuendo there on sexual appetite by Mr. Cooper. Uh, that's one of those songs that that uh, was the theme of of some of my uh, checkered past, uh, sexually speaking. But before I get into that, uh, asi247.org again is the website. My name is Russ Shaw. Uh, click on the music tab. The music I play is there on the website. If you'd like to check that out, that song, I'll be honest, may be a bit triggery for some of you. It may be tempting, uh, depending on the sensitivity of your uh, imagination life, right? If your thought life uh, may have some, some issues with that song, I'll just be honest. So so there's that. Um but it's, it's a funny it's a funny song to me now I'm in the season I can look back and go yeah you know that's that's it is what it is it doesn't have to be bad it just reflects something um, that's what art does does it not hits on our emotions it hits on our thoughts and depending on how what springs out of us right we can like or dislike certain art so putting that out there but uh, yeah asi247.org click on the music tab i also am trying to include the bands like tour dates and stuff like that because most bands nowadays don't make so much money on recorded material it's just kind of a sign of the times but i'm trying to do what i can to uh help the artists as I uh, use some of the content in a safe way and hopefully with uh, the same rules as talk radio does when it comes to 
promo bumpers. Uh, free speech media is kind of under the same genre as talk radio, although there's certain lawyers that may disagree. I don't know. I'll take it down if somebody has a problem. But that's uh, that's the issue that legally uh, with, with the website there. So uh, at Russ Shaw is my Twitter handle. And the Facebook page for this here podcast recently has changed to Heart, Mind, Love, Sex, and Affection. It's a kind of a Facebook group, and um, I won't be doing as much with it in the near future. So I'm trying to uh, not be so distracted by social media during this season. It's part of my focusing on writing this uh, this book, actually voicing this book to start with in the month of November. So I'm not going to be on Twitter, uh, and I'm going to very much limit my time on that. I will post a few things there, articles, because it's kind of a resource for me as well, uh, sharing some of that, that information. But as far as my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, which I don't share with uh, the the crowd who listens to this website anymore, I used to, but now it's a, it's kind of a fan page. But I, I don't want to do that anymore either. I don't want to do a fan page. I wanted to do a, a discussion page, starting a conversation kind of page. We'll see how that ends up in the future. Um and all that social media stuff is linked on the website, uh, asi247.org. So getting that out of the way, um, every year I do a kind of Halloween-themed episode. I wanted to explain some of that. I know there's Christians that listen. I've had some pretty high-profile guests on the show, uh, some from Christendom. Lately, both the religious and even the anti-religious has listened to the show recently, right? I'm getting different emails from different folks and having Craig Gross on earlier in the year and Paul Young, uh, David Colossi. There's, there's new people, and I guess I wanted to explain myself a little bit. Um, I don't worship the devil, okay? I'm not naive to, you know, some of the dark occult kind of religious spiritual stuff going on in the holiday, as they would call it, of Halloween. I don't believe it's a holy day. I think it's a fun season. As a Jesus follower myself, I don't break out the Ouija board, right? I'm not, we're not doing seances. There's nothing spiritual going on. We're not breaking out a pentagram and asking the planet to bless our crops or to stop the rain. I live in Seattle. I'm used to it, all right? Uh, Us in the United States have repurposed this holiday to just be a fun time of the year, a time where we can stop and think about our neighbors, all right, Um, actually meet our neighbors, people's doors are open, it is a great opportunity to talk to people, to know people, to build important relationships with the people who live trustingly close to you. You talk about tricks or treats, all right? It's a treat to know your neighbor, all right? It's a blessing to actually know the people that live close to you. Uh, for one reason, is selfish, but <laughs> this is a paper done by the insurance industry that says people that know their neighbors have a 
80 to 90% less chance of having their home broken into. That's one big reason right there, isn't it? Also, your kids are safer. When you know the neighbors, right? They're not Jared from Subway. You know, I mean, just it's important to know the neighbors. And listen, something we did in my neighborhood was kind of like trick-or-treats for dads. Like, I would have a cooler of beer, and I would go to the neighbor's house, have a beer with my neighbor. All right? Listen, partying is not sinful. It's who you party with and what you do while you party that can be sinful. All right? In the Bible, there was these big chunks of time where, you know, harvest season, they had huge parties. As a matter of fact, it was a commandment. All right. God would say, you're going to stop working for like weeks and party right during harvest time. So, again, this is not the devil's season. The devil's season is in in my country. It's in April. It's tax season. Right. April 15th. That's the devil's holiday. Right. Where we send our money to the government and they frivolously spend it on garbage. That's that's the devil's holiday. So. Just clearing some of that up for you. I haven't always done Halloween episodes because sometimes I was on sabbatical during the season. But, yeah, it's just amazing. Ten years, man. Next month will mark ten years. Ten years of the existence of this here podcast, ASI. Have I been doing it consistently for ten years? No. There was times I stopped. There's times I took a break. There was a times where I thought I would never pick up this microphone again, and uh, here I am. It is uh, 10 years. That's good longevity for any podcast, right? If you would have told me 10 years ago I'd still be doing this podcast, I would have thought you're crazy. But by the grace of God, it still exists. It's still up. Um, I still play the bumper music I play, right? Everybody told me, you're going to get sued. How could you do that? You're going to get in trouble, Russ. Watch out. Um, And maybe I will. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Going back to some of my roots, though, in writing this book and in listening to some of the early shows, which I'm basing a lot of the material in the book on, um, AC3, uh, my wife and I started in a marriage group, and... There was couples in that group, and we went through a couple of books. Um, The ladies read, For Women Only, What You Need to Know About the Inner Lives of Men, and Us Guys read, For Men Only, uh, A Straightforward Guide to the Inner Lives of Women. And we proceeded to talk about them in group. And, man, it's funny how going back to that time and where I was at at that time, I was still so guarded, you know, and listening to folks talk and taking in the experiences of stuff that couples had never shared about each other ever, you know, and I sat back sort of as a spectator. And then when I was, you know, going, it was just, it was getting to these roots and that's what was helpful about it. But I still had my demons, right? I still had my stuff in the dark. I was sitting there in this group uh, and still had my dark appetites, you know, had these things I was not dealing with in the light. 
but starting to wade into the back of the toolbox where some of the emotional stuff was revealing some of the rust and corrosion of how I was reacting in relationships and especially the most intimate relationship with any human being on this planet, that being my wife. See, it wasn't just the books, but the relationships, you know, with others going through the books. Again, I liken it to the toolbox metaphor, you know. Learning some of these new things are kind of like having the tools, but when you're doing the repair, sometimes it helps to have someone else in the room to maybe hand you a wrench, right? But for me, when it came to working on myself and relationships and my relationship with my wife, it was kind of like I owned a vehicle but I didn't have any tools, right? I don't even own a toolbox. So books like these were some of the tools that helped me think differently about sex, about empathy, right? About seeing through someone else's eyes, walking in someone else's shoes. So Craig Gross and Shanti Feldheim wrote a book and it took a few years, right? Uh, social researcher and the pastor of the largest kind of online group, uh, Christian-wise, when it comes to sexual compulsive behavior, sexual addiction, as well as being a bit of a whistleblower, pointing out the truths of the porn industry. When these two team up to take on you know, sexual compulsive behavior, and to open up dialogue, um, I'm interested. So I emailed Craig Gross and got permission to play some of this audio on the podcast here. Uh, so here you go, wading into the mostly haunted corners of how men think sexually. Thank you. It's great to be here. My name's Craig, and that's Shanti, in case there was any confusion on that one. Who's who? It's great. Always great to be here. Uh, I remember some of you guys, if you're as old as me or older, I used to do a lot of stuff with the junior high and high school, all the summer camps, stuff like that. Now I've got an own junior hire of my own. And hey, I'm, I'm Shanti, and um, I have a husband named Jeff, and uh, two kids also, junior hire, a little boy who's 12, and a teenage daughter, so we need lots of prayer at our house, and I'm a social researcher, so digging out the things that we tend not to know about each other and the things that, once our eyes are open to them, it really sets us free in our relationships. Shanti wrote this book called For Women Only, sold like two million copies. I read one of those copies because, uh, not that I'm a woman, but I want to know what she was saying to women about men. There's another book called For Men Only that men should read, but of course we read the woman's book first, um, at least I did. And it was in that book that she kind of uncovered this whole visual idea of, of men being visual and women being more emotional and um, seeing the world kind of through different perspectives. So we had a mutual friend that said, you guys should take that chapter and turn it into a whole book. And that's how we met about two and a half years ago. Uh, we met uh, at a conference that she was speaking at, and we just kind of said, what, what, do, what are we doing here? Um, should we do this? Uh, how, how's this kind of going to play out? And that's what we've been working on for the last couple of years. And so to, to share today with you some of those thoughts, some of those things that uh, that we've come up with. We thought we'd start with a movie clip. And so this, this summer, lots of movies came out. Minions was okay, but Inside Out. Did anyone see that? I'm normally not a fan of the kid movies. Uh, this one's like the kid movie with the adult, you know, it's for us. My wife cried, but um, 
Riley is the character in the movie. She's like 11 or 12. And you see the whole movie through like her emotions, what she's going through, what's inside her head. And there's a one point in the movie where you see the emotions of a dog. And then there's a point in the movie where you see the emotions of what goes through the boy when he meets Riley on the hockey rink. So go ahead and watch this. Oh. Sorry. Ladies, how many of you didn't know that you had the ability to create an electrical storm in the male brain? Okay. It's funny, I was, we were walking out of the movie theater, with my, saw it with a family, and um, overheard my teenage daughter and her teenage cousins saying, that's completely implausible, that doesn't happen, you know, that's not what it's like. And my 12-year-old boy, who normally is quite quiet, spoke up and said, uh, no, that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> and... We were thinking about this, and it's interesting. It's kind of a funny clip, but it illustrates, at least gets us into talking about a subject that is a little bit sensitive, but it's incredibly important for us to understand, especially in the culture that we're living in, so that we can actually be the body of Christ the way that we're supposed to be in a culture that really is filled with all sorts of images and all sorts of sights that aren't quite as funny as that one, and that really, that we were never really designed to see. And so we're going to be focusing here, as for me as a woman, and obviously Craig as a pastor, um, as a husband, we're going to be primarily talking about this idea of what it means that that men are visual, what this culture is like for them, what this means for us as women to be able to really come alongside and support the men in our lives and our sons in today's culture. How many of you as a woman here, how many of you have a son? Yeah, this, this really is a very difficult culture in some ways, and yet our eyes as women, ironically, are very blind to it. So we're going to be downloading some things to us as women today that normally when you stand up here and the pastor talks on stage, he's talking to the men. And we're going to talk to that a little bit, but really we're going to flip it this time around and talk a little bit more to us as women. The first thing that we have to understand, there's the first major point, is that God actually wired the male brain to be visual, to be very visual, and he didn't make a mistake. This is intended to be a good thing. It's just that today, men are living with very normal visual male brains in a very abnormal culture filled with sights that they were never supposed to see. So what I'm going to do, just really briefly, I'm going to tell you what we've found in the research. The brain scientists have actually uncovered what happens in our brains, and it helps us make sense of this kind of sensitive subject in a whole new way. At least it did for me as a woman. And, and it might help actually help illuminate some of this for some of the men in here who really do not want to be confronted with so many of these things that they see today. It turns out that the structure of the, the male and female brains is completely different. This wiring, we don't know, you know, exactly whether this could have been the result of the fall or whether this is the way God desired them, we designed them. We are inclined to think that since Adam's first words when he saw Eve... Adam's first words were essentially hubba hubba, right? So we're inclined to think that this wiring was designed this way. So here's what it is. When, when 
Um, a, a woman, um, a woman is designed to process life quite emotionally. Like our feelings are are involved. We want to talk about the things we 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 feel. And that's more of how our brains are wired to process life. The, the male brain, by contrast, isn't as much to, uh, wired to process life for how he feels. It's how he sees. And his emotions are very tied to the things he sees. What does that look like? Well, there's all sorts of implications, but let's just discuss this one that we're talking about today, which is all these images that really are seen very publicly that were only supposed to be seen in private. When a man sees one of those images, um, let's just say it's a woman who is drawing overt attention to a good figure. She's drawing overt attention to her body. There's a center in the back of the brain that lights up. And this is the part of the brain. There's There's areas in the back of the brain that are really very involuntary. They control things like digestion and breathing and things that you don't think about. You just, your body just does it. Well, there's a center sort of in the mid to the back of the brain called the nucleus accumbens. And it's the center that in everybody, man or woman, it's the same center that when, let's just say you haven't eaten all day and you're really hungry and you walk into a room and you suddenly see food across the room, your nucleus accumbens lights up and there's a very biological reaction that happens. And it's this instinctive gut level response of being drawn to, I want to consume that food. And you're not thinking, oh, how very pleasant that food looks. It's this, no, it's this gut level response. And then the cortical centers or the thinking centers at the front of your brain, then those light up and you think something and you, this is where your choice and your will comes in and you look around the room and you see, oh darn, you know, dinner hasn't started yet. And so that's when you decide, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over and stuff my face with chocolate or I'm going to say, you know, dinner hasn't started yet. So I'm not going to, not going to think about that right now. I'm going to wait till the appropriate time. Well, the same thing happens in the male brain when he is confronted with one of those images. His nucleus accumbens lights up and it's this biological involuntary stimulation. He's drawn to consume that image. Now, this is not a desire for the person exactly, but it's a desire to look at that image, to consume it because it would feel good to do that. And then the cortical centers kick in, the thinking centers, and that's where the choice happens. And that is where he says either, yes, this is me and my wife and I can look all I want, or this is no, that's the colleague, that's the girl walking across the parking lot, that's the image that pops up on the advertisement on television, and he makes a choice what to do. Does he look? Does he stare? Does he let that pleasure continue in the brain? Or does he say, no, it's not appropriate right now. Tear that thought down. Don't think about that. Think about baseball scores. Think about my wife. Think about whatever it takes to not focus on that image. Now, the reason that we as women don't get this is because it turns out our brain is wired completely differently. When we see an attractive image, like an attractive man, that nucleus accumbens in the back of our brain stays dark. Our husbands are very disappointed to learn this, by the way. (laughs) And and what do you mean? Like one guy said, even when I'm wearing my black leather jacket, (laughs) his wife was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) And instead, it's the thinking centers for us as women that light up. And we think to ourselves, 
He's an attractive man. But it's a thinking-oriented response from the beginning. And so as a result, most of us as women women, have never experienced this stimulation in our brain, this involuntary stimulation that men face in today's culture every single day day that confronts a husband, confronts a boyfriend, confronts a son, a father, a brother, a friend. And we, ironically, are completely blind to it. And we can't be blind to it anymore. Yes, it's funny how that song by Alice Cooper and the brain researchers and social researchers and scientists uh, are starting to agree, right? Um, Alice Cooper was talking about that song. I heard an interview with him years ago, and he said that he that's actually written by a punk rock band in L.A., and he bought the, the, the song from them, you know, as songwriters, and he changed the name of the song. And I think this was on MTV or something like that. And they said, well, what was the name of the song? And he goes, I can't tell you on television the name of the song, but I changed it to feed my Frankenstein. So interesting, right? About sexual appetites. So, yeah, welcome to the ASI podcast where social science, uh, punk rock lyrics and Christian living uh, collide. (laughs) So yes, that is Sean DeFelheim and Craig Gross. That talk is actually 41 minutes long, and I cut it down there into that little that piece. Triplexchurch.com. Um, if you'd like more information, if you'd like to watch that whole uh, talk, it again 41 minutes long. It's it's worth it, man. I, I would get your wife. Even your kids, if they're older, I'd say if they're older than 12, you know, they'd wrap their mind around it a little bit. I would have them sit and watch that talk, man. It is, it's important. I, I don't know how you do that, but <laughs> make it fun. Uh, get some popcorn going. But seriously, it's, it's some great stuff to put in their emotional sexual toolbox uh, as far as learning that information. I also did some of my own research on this uh, fact about the male brain, and I wanted to talk about some of that too. But first, I wanted to uh, address something that is another uh, horror, right? Like spooky Halloween thing. (laughs) And that's the boogeyman of... Uh, how do man? I'm this escaping me for a moment. Uh, the Christian response to secular humanism. There it is. That word, secular humanism. Um, the past few shows I've been talking about the humble, purposeful attitude of integrity. Um, that word, integrity, meaning that uh, as as you're in process, you're honest about it. All right. Having integrity doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you're honest about where you're at in the process of life, in the journey of life. Um, that's how I see it 
from an emotional standpoint and spiritual standpoint as well. Be honest, man. That's having integrity. It's hard, I know. But that's a big part of the, the you know, motivation behind this podcast. And it, it's something that in my own story has freed my heart up, you know. When I could be honest, vulnerable, um, reveal where I'm actually at and who I actually am as opposed to projecting some future version of myself that I feel would be more palatable socially for other Christians, um, for my family as a father. That's one of those things, right? If you want your kids to respect you, be honest, you know, give them someone to follow, but reveal some of yourself and show them the fact that you do make mistakes. That will command respect. You don't make people respect you. It's kind of like cats and dog people, right? I've become more of a cat person because that's the cool thing about cats. Cats will love you. And cats love me more now than they did when I was a younger person. Because a cat, you can't force a cat to love you or respect you. Cats are more like emotionally honest people, you know? I think that was part of the reason I hated cats, is because I couldn't control them. And I saw myself as that, too, you know? I thought that I had a pretty good beat on things. I thought I had some sense of self-control. I think that was part of my Christian, conservative, Republican part of me, right? Back when I thought, oh, I obey God. I'm like a dog obeying God, right? No, I wasn't. God knew that. God saw me, you know, in the dark place, in the secret place, climbing the curtains and scratching the furniture. I might have had my co-workers, my family, my friends even fooled, but God knew I wasn't Mr. Obedient Police Dog, right? God knows my cat side. So today, my skeletons... Right? Another Halloween image. <laughs> no longer bones clanking around in the closet. Um, my cat side has been let out of the box. I'm just me where I'm at now. And God loves that person. And that was very hard for me uh, early on to understand, wrap my heart around that God loves me right now where I'm at. Like, really? Like, that was an epiphany for me. You know, it just wasn't, it wasn't just epiphany in my mind. It was an emotional, um, I, I broke emotionally, you know. I cried when I realized God doesn't love future Russ Shaw. God loves Russ Shaw right now. God loves past me. God loved suffering me. Um, God forgave not just me, but the things that were done to me, the people that did them, um, me right where I was at, at this moment in time, God loves me. That's, that's having integrity. And when you can be honest from that spot on the map, right? Like God dropping a GPS pin down and boom, this is where I'm at. This is who I am and where I'm at right now. That's having integrity. Not, again, 
not spending so much emotional, creative energy trying to fake people out, uh, sell them the person we want to be later on or we should be, right? I, I wanted to get that out of the way because that's part of what I hear when I hear people react to secular humanism. We are human beings. Jesus loves people. Jesus loves human beings. And there seems to be this kind of tribalism. I don't know what it is. This kind of club where Christians believe that we're going to just love the people in our tribe or in our club. And that's not loving. That's not being human. That's not entering into the human experience, getting down to a person's level in their suffering, whoever they are, whatever spiritual background or race or religion, it doesn't matter. God loves us right where we're at. And as a Christ followers, we should be more inclined to help those suffering and who aren't in our tribe, right? How many of us read a story like the Good Samaritan and sit back and go, yeah, that's a great little piece of truth, while we sit back and pray for other people, we don't actually get our hands dirty, you know? We don't actually talk to them. We don't actually look at their eyes and ask them how they feel, you know? Because, listen, for years, you know, another thing about brain research is that feelings are important. Feelings do something. Feelings stir us. Feelings drive us when we let them. Thoughts create feelings, and feelings create thoughts. And it's not being a secular humanist to separate emotions and spirituality and realize, ask the questions, actually admit when you don't know when it comes to the human experience, right? You know, that's another thing about this research is there's evolutionists will say that, hey, we evolved from monkeys or whatever, and we evolved to want to procreate, and that's why the male brain is like that. Um, the Bible says that we have a spirit and we have flesh, and that those the animal nature of us is opposed to the spiritual nature of us. We live in these earth suits and that th there's something to that. So it's one of those things. Are you an old creationist, Ross? Or do you, do you believe that we evolved? Or I don't know. You know, I don't know. I'm at that point right now. I don't, I don't know. But I do believe the Bible is absolutely true. Much like Lewis believed, there is a, a lot of metaphor there. Um, do I believe that a lot of evolutionary biology is science fiction or hallucinogenics, right? To help justify living the way some want to live? Yeah, maybe, but that's not everybody. All right? And by saying that, I can love other people, be honest, and no, that's not secular humanism, or maybe it is. I don't know. I think that that word is just another divisive word to separate people and to keep Christians feeling good about themselves while they sit in their holy huddles and judge everyone else. I'm not going to do that. I've never had that attitude. Doing this podcast, I have not been one to preach to the choir. Now, during my Mars Hill years, I may have fell into some of that standing on 
truth stuff, you know? And I'm learning to take a step back and, and repent from some of that. Some of my certainty. I, I wasn't humble. Um, was it Mark's influence on me? No, I think Mark stirred an angry, controlling part of me that maybe was good, right? That wanted some safety and in, in knowing certain things and being honest about obedience, right? Because we're all obedient, Everyone's going to obey something. Nobody is, you know, oh, I just, I'm just free, man. I just do what I want to do. No, you're obedient to your whims. <laughs> if you, if you live that life, that's, that was me. Um, and that's part of the human experience. So again, I'm reflecting back on, on some of my own story here, but, uh, Again, I wanted to touch on that as we go through some of this research and talk about this honestly. And it's also why I welcome your emails, russ at asi247.org. It's why, you know, the Facebook group is there. If you'd like to um, be involved in the discussion, it's weird that I heard another guy doing a podcast and he talked about not wanting to be a guru, right? Not wanting to people to look up to him like he's some kind of leader or something like that. And I feel that too. It's like, man, yeah, there's this pressure or this weirdness about if I do this, if I talk about this stuff, are people going to think that I know more than they do or that I'm better or I've achieved some kind of accolade or unlocked some achievement right and they could if they could do what i do they could unlock that achievement too right like life is a video game life isn't a video game and i'm not you know the guru guy on youtube who shows you how to get through the levels of life your life is different than my life all right that's another thing about humility and integrity when it comes to my own story you know i'm not mr know-it-all man seriously I barely am sane enough to hold down a job. I mean, that's just who I am, all right? So the fact that I get to email and have conversations with the people I do is mind-blowing to me to a certain extent. And here's some of the questions that I, I shot at Craig Gross, and he didn't have time this week to come on, which is cool. He's a busy guy. But one of the things that people can try and glean from this conversation is that it's giving men an excuse. That was one of my questions. Isn't this going to, like, are women going to say, hey, you're just giving men an excuse to ogle other women that aren't their wives? One of the things I talked about a lot in the early podcasts, and one of the big reasons uh, I have the freedom today that I do, uh, I watched, I, I took a close watch on not just my eyeballs, which is important. Um, the book Every Man's Battle, he talks about in there knowing when you're drinking in an image for too long, right? You look once, that's science, all right? <laughs> you look twice, you start drinking that in. Guys, if you're married, there starts to be uh, danger signals that come up, right? In my mind, 
And again, that's some of the beauty of dark storytelling, you know. I talked about some of the early Halloween shows, Bram Stoker. What if he's going into a narrative challenging this new book that had just came out and was creating some stir and some buzz and being a bestseller, this book by a guy called Charles Darwin, all right, Um Bram Stoker's book, Dracula, came out about 30 years after, and during the second print, when he took the racism off of the title. And the funny thing is there's evolutionary biologists who wrote papers saying, hey, what if black people are actually higher evolved than we are? Which is interesting. But the story about, hey, what if we did give in to our animal lusts, right? The book that I've heard a lot about, and the film, from from what I've heard, I, I haven't seen the film, but Fifty Shades of Grey is actually based on Twilight vampire fan fiction. It's a vampire story. I mean, here's a young guy who's a billionaire in the story, right, who never shows up at work. I mean, if that's not supernatural, <laughs> I don't know what it is, Right. But I think these stories touch on, you know, that animal thing in us. And we fear that, if we're honest. The vampire lurks in the dark, you know, stalks by night. What if we were immortal, right? The control we would have, right? The sexual magnetism. Fear. We would put fear in others, and that would give us some kind of self-gratification and worth as we lurk around in the darkness it kind of makes some sense in the human psyche, right? If we're honest about the dark places. And I think that's part of the fear that lives in us all. The monster inside, right? We have a certain amount of fear of that. That's part of the human experience. At some point, we all feel like a monster. The secret side of me, I never let you see I keep it caged, but I can't control it So stay away from me, the beast is ugly I feel the rage and I just can't hold it It's scratching on the walls, in the closet, in the halls It comes away again, I can't control it Hiding under the bed, in my body, in my head Why won't somebody come and save me from this? Make it in talking about the secret side we keep, right? Not always real safe in some social circles, am I correct? Maybe Christian ones, uh, possibly? But yeah, feeling like a monster? Maybe revealing some of our animal nature, like the werewolf, or this highly evolved humanoid known as the vampire. Doesn't want to be seen in the light, you know, afraid of the cross, right? Doesn't like garlic. I don't know what that one's about, but you see what I'm saying, right? The zombie, flesh-eating, mindless creatures, right? Uh, there's some truth to some of these narratives in these storytelling, right? Dark, Halloweeny horror storytelling. 
Because listen, um, giving in to your sexual impulses, giving in to sexual compulsive behavior, your life will eventually become a horror story. All right? Um, I'm telling you that from experience. You see some of these movies with the vampire, the werewolf, and when the person changes, you know, they don't want to be that person. I remember doing things sexually, feeling like I was out of control in my own behavior. I didn't want to do the things I was doing, and I kept doing them, and it was so incredibly frustrating. But what I think is so important about these talks is that it starts with the eye, right? It starts with the eye. I think that's important. Yes, are women going to catch our eye, guys? Yes. Is there some kind of chemical response? And, and, and it's, can we help it? On the onset, no. And that doesn't mean you're evil, all right? That doesn't mean you're some kind of monster. It's what we choose to do. The, the, the decisions we make past that moment of capture that will define our life going on if we don't understand and learn how to untangle some of the ways we think about sex. That's an interesting topic, right? Can we help it? A woman catches your eye. A sexual image catches your eye. You're going to pay attention to it. But for how long? And what does that stir in your imagination? That's the honest question that I talk about here on this podcast, and I won't go into a ton of it because I've discussed it before, but your imagination can run wild with some of this stuff, and it's important to to know that, to be cognizant of that, that you can control your imagination, right? I used some of these analogies in the past is, is the spark that lands on a very dry, straw-like surface and starts to spread. We have a choice to let it spread or to snuff it out. And this isn't thought control. I'm not telling you to think about baseball, all right? <laughs> I mean, maybe that would be helpful. But over time, I don't think that that's realistic long term. I think realistic long-term is dealing with the corresponding emotions that are underneath that. They touched on, in this talk, the movie Inside Out, which is a great movie. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I, I challenge you to see it right away. Even if you don't have kids, it is a Pixar Disney movie, but it is very awesome and truthful about how our emotions influence us. You know, and that's maybe that's why I went on my secular humanism rant because I heard somebody it's just popping through Christian radio. I don't know why I do it, but sometimes I'll go to, you know, I'm in my car. I hit the Christian radio station and someone's talking about, you know, this Pixar film and secular humanism. And I'm just like rolling my eyes going, oh, my God, seriously. Can we just be honest about the werewolves, the vampires, the the cats, the dogs, right? Um, there's an interesting thing also with that same scene that he talks about there with the, you know, girl, girl, right? They also show the emotions of a cat and the emotions of a dog <laughs> at the end of the film, which is, is pretty hilarious as well. Uh, anyway... 
Luan Brazain, MD, author of The Male Brain, explains it in this way. Check this out. Just as cavemen sought out multiple mating partners so they could produce as many offspring as possible, the brain of the modern man, male, even a happily married or hitched one, is more or less programmed to always be on the lookout for a fertile mate. Not to say that men are intend to be physical or to pursue them, but the visual enhancement they encounter um, is deeply seated. They need to check out the goods. Um, something animal about that, right? Uh, some more research here. Men are visual creatures. Uh, there's the eye candy factor. A new study shows that while women tend to feel attracted to familiar faces, men are more turned on by someone they've never seen before. I believe this not this is novelty theory holds with objects as well as women. Um, we are our brains are attracted to the abnormal, the weird, the funny, the strange, right? This is novelty. This is also why pornography is so incredibly addictive. Uh, some more research that goes into some of the stuff they're learning through NoFap. Uh, NoFap, there's a link on the website, asi247.org. It's a subreddit of the, of, of the website Reddit. Uh, there's also Christian NoFap. Basically, these are people, uh, mostly men, but there's women there too, who are fighting their addiction to pornography. NoFap is not a religious community, right? It's just people who are fighting pornography. Why would they do it if it's not religious? Because it's addictive. And there's a thing called uh, a new acronym that's come out of some of this research, and it's called PIDE. All right? PIDE means pornography-induced erectile dysfunction. Now, this is some of the stuff I was talking about when I first started this podcast when a group called that studied sexuality called the Janus Project. I can't remember now. Uh, Janus.com. Not, not Janus, the woman's name, but the, the Greek god uh, social studies on why men were taking so much Viagra, right? Like, why is erectile dysfunction such a huge deal that Viagra at that time was the most prescribed medication? And they came to the same conclusion that some of these scientists are coming to today, 15 years later, right? So there's one example of Right, giving into the vampire side that doesn't seem so sexy, does it? Right, like I should just be able to look at porn and and just drink in all these images and just gratify my flesh as I de I see fit. And no, it it will drain you, not just sexually but emotionally. It will derail your motivation, motivational purpose. It, it there's so much that they're finding that. Sexual compulsive behavior, man, goes deeper than just ship it wrecking your relationships. But that's a huge one because most of our life, if we're honest, happiness and well being are tied to relationship. 
So here's three things that this doctor, who is a woman, says that women should do. Um, should do. So, right? She's going to should on you. Not me. <laughs> I wouldn't should on you. But she's she's going to, to say that. This, anyway. She says, uh, number one, avoid making your guy feel like he's done something wrong. As tempting as it might be, resist jabbing your elbow into his side, shooting him with an icy glare or giving him the silent treatment or even making snide remarks about the woman he's admired saying she looks like a slut uh, those boobs are fake you know or I guarantee you that she bleaches her hair all of this screams insecurity and could quickly lead to an, an unnecessary argument um, just from what I know, I, you know, if your lady is saying stuff like that, guys, and she does feel insecure, there's something to that. Um, love her in that. Resist, all right? Resist drinking in those images. As your head turns all the way around as some woman walks by in the street while you're holding your wife's hand, I'm sorry, that's a problem, all right? As a Christian, as a Christ follower, I could even call it sinful. Okay, um, we don't like that word. How about this word? Here's 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 the new buzzword for sin: dysfunctional. Right? <laughs> Modern psychologists and social psychologists and college professors have redefined the word sin as dysfunction, disorder, compulsion, uh, addiction. So there you go. Uh, just resist it. Don't. All right? You, you noticed? Boom. Shut it down. I got really good at that. And it, it, it's helped me. Um, not just in my relationship with my wife, of course, because, you know, it's still something I work on, to be honest. But it's it's something that, you know, whether you're alone, whether you're with your wife, character is that thing you do when no one's looking, you know. And it's it's a constant battle. Every man's battle is a great uh, title for that book because it will be a battle probably for as long as you live um, when I was seeing prostitutes there were you know 60 70 year old men coming out of some of these girls rooms this doesn't go away with age that's a myth all right it it gets weaker as we do not keep feeding it here's another thing this uh this doctor is telling the woman uh she says ignore it since it's likely fleeting here's how she puts it men look at attractive women the way we look at pretty butterflies they catch the male brain's attention for a second but then they flit out of his mind um can i tell you something that's not always true all right it's good, again, this talk that Craig Gross does with Shante, they're going to initiate a conversation. And that conversation is good and healthy. Because for me, um, it wasn't always fleeting. I would save, uh, like, like Pinterest, I would save some of these images in my own personal masturbatory theater. All right? And that was me. 
It's not every man, but for sex addicts, you know, there's that. And another thing that she said, um, acknowledge it and draw attention to it in a playful, loving way. Then watch how fast he shifts his focus back on you. Above all, remember that your man is with you because he loves you. The sexy, beautiful, or classy woman he just checked out can't even begin to complete the bond you've already established with him. And there's some very, some truth to that, all right? Um, and the emotional connection that he has with you in the way that runs way deeper than a quick look or distracted towards another woman. Also keep in mind that this doesn't just this isn't just a guy thing. Studies show that women check out men too. But since you have peripheral vision that's far superior to ours, meaning you don't have to turn your head to give a hot guy the once look over, you rarely get caught just saying. I think that's uh, a good conversation for uh, Crystal Renault of Dirty Girls Ministry to be a return guest. I've been wanting to have her on the show again, uh, but that would be a great one because I do, you know, believe that women have the same um, thing going on. It just works itself out differently in the imagination which is a great example of God's grace because God sees what's going on in the filthy theater of our minds and still loves us tremendously, loves us more than we can imagine, loves us uh, just, it, it, it blows my mind, the grace of God and the very human, deep, emotional relationship we have with him through Jesus Christ. The biggest takeaway uh, that I want to leave you, the listener, if you've listened to this show all the way for, through now, uh, with is this. Um, ha- having the eyes of, of Jesus, the eyes of compassion towards other people is, you know, that's part of that fruit of the Spirit, right? The reality of seeing the higher power than I am, right? A power that's greater than myself is something I learned in recovery early on when I was an alcoholic drug addict, you know? There has to be a power in this universe greater than myself. And learning over time that that power is Jesus Christ through grace has blown my heart open, right? Has opened me up to step out into the the what I thought was very thin ice you know of trust of being vulnerable Paul says the fruit of the spirit is love right compassion self-control you know you don't have to control people and have a bunch of laws and rules when you have the fruit of the spirit it just it's just there it's just fruit like that right we become most like that which we adore, that which we hang around, that which we are in relationship with. And the reality of being with Jesus is 
that fruit, man, it's not something that you stuff in from the outside like a list of rules. The eyes of compassion that Jesus has for us and, and being a Christ follower. Listen, the word Christian means little Christ, but we've lost that. And that makes me sad, right? We've lost that as a culture. Christians who are listening, um, being like Jesus means you have compassion for other people. And sometimes the hardest thing we can do is have compassion for the people who are closest to us. Our wife, your husband, um, even our kids. It's easier to get angry and snappy at our, our own kids than it is, you know, you know we're, we're nice to other people's kids. You know, it's something I've noticed, something that I've observed being an Uber and Lyft driver, you know, like, why do people do that? And then looking back and going, oh my God, I did that too. What is, what is with that? Um, but I, I pray that we can love like Jesus does. That's my, my discipline, my hope, my trying to be like Christ is not... It's not a should or an ought to. It's freedom. Like my friend Jim said, um, I want to be like Jesus because Jesus is the freest person who ever lived. And that's true. Being in relationship, knowing how loved we are, and then reflecting that back. It's putting to death the zombies and vampires and werewolves that continue to attack us that wear the name shame. Shame will eat you alive. Shame is a vampire that will suck the life energy out of you. Um, it is the zombie that wants to eat your brains it is the werewolf that wants to sell you the lie that you will always be this animal, lustful thing, and you'll never change. That's the voice of shame. And I pray that you put it to death. And you don't worry about being a freak, all right? I'm a bit of a Jesus freak, all right? And I don't mind saying that, and I'm not ashamed. And I will take the time and energy to try and communicate the difference between a Jesus-loving Christ follower and a American evangelical religious person, because I think it is so important. One is attractive and life-giving. The other um, has become repugnant, and for good reason. If you go on iTunes and look at the comment section, the negative comments on this show are by both uh, folks hyper-Christian and all the way to the other side, right? Uh, they just don't know me, hopefully, and hopefully that's why. But it's a good place to be, and I, and I don't mind being seen as a freak. Jesus said, woe to you if everyone speaks well of you, right? There's something wrong with that. If you're someone who stirs the heart, you will be a target. And I'd rather be a target for the dead things seeking life than a target for the alive 
things that are trying to push out what's dead. I'll leave you with a song by the band Skillet. It's called Freak Show. I love this song. I play this every Halloween as well. Till next time. I love you guys. Um, keep me in your prayers. I'm probably going to do maybe one show, if that, in November. Uh, I'll be back in December. Some of the book research I want to do are interviews, so I was going to put some of those up in in December, maybe January. Um, But until next time, here's some skillet for you. Bye. Freak Show!